0: Well, welcome to The Hills. I know I'm talking to people literally around the world watching online and people in person at West Fort Worth and Keller and at North Richmond Hills. This is the week of Christmas, and I'm sure you all have big plans. And I hope some of those plans include worshiping with us. We have some awesome candlelight services planned for this week. Let's get something out on the table right now. At every campus at 3 and 5 o'clock on Christmas Eve next Saturday, we have candlelight services. The Dallas Cowboys play the most important game of the year against the hated Philadelphia Eagles at 3.30. So you've got to make a decision because you love Jesus and you love the Cowboys. What are you going to do? Now, I'm not saying if you come to candlelight service, the Cowboys will win. I am saying if you come to candlelight service and the Cowboys lose, you'll know it wasn't your fault. <laughs> so you make your decision. I know it'll be a good one. I really do hope this is a beautiful week. And that you spend Christmas Day in your happy place. I mean, in the place you love the most with the people that you love the most. But have you ever spent Christmas Day in a dark place? I bet everybody listening to me right now has spent at least one Christmas Day in a really dark place. I know I'm talking to some people right now who have spent a Christmas Day in a battle zone. Or maybe a funeral home. Or a hospital bed. Or an empty house. Or a rehab center. Or a waiting room. And if there's a chance you spend this next Christmas day in a dark place, you don't want a merry little Christmas. No, you want a cosmic Christmas. You want an understanding of Christmas that sheds some light on the darkness. So this December, instead of looking at the Christmas story through the accounts of Matthew and Luke and seeing Christmas from earth's perspective, we've gone to Revelation 12. We've looked at Christmas the way the angels see it. We've been looking at heaven's perspective and we've noticed there's a dragon out there. We have a wonderful couple, Josh and Audrey Lively, at the Keller campus, who shared a story with me recently. You see, it was at Christmas nine years ago that they were in a dark place. Little Mila, their first child, was born just before Thanksgiving with unexplained respiratory problems. And for some time, she was the sickest little baby in the NICU of that big Houston hospital. They were there all the way through Christmas praying for their daughter. Now, here's the backstory. Audrey's parents are Jack and Jill Maxwell. They are professors at ACU and brilliant artists. Jack had been commissioned by our friend Jonathan Stormont to paint a picture of the dragon in Revelation 12, and Jack had agreed. And he was working on that picture when his little granddaughter wound up in a hospital fighting for her life. So he reimagined that picture, and this is what he painted a woman that looked a lot like his daughter, holding a baby that looked a lot like his granddaughter with her hand out resisting the dragon. I think that hand represents the prayers of saints around the world beseeching heaven for little Mila. You see, what we know is the dragon wasn't just there at the first Christmas. The dragon has been lurking around every Christmas since. But I'm about to share with you Some cosmic good news. Instead of looking at Matthew or Luke, we're looking at the book of Revelation. We're looking at Christmas the way the angels saw it. And Revelation reminds us that we are participants in a huge story taking place in the cosmos. And we are not the main characters in the story. The main characters are a lamb and a dragon. And they've been in conflict and the dragon was hurled out of heaven. And now he's among us that the earth is now dragon territory. When we see revelation and Christmas from that perspective, we realize that all this evil and hurt and suffering and pain and darkness in the world are because he's lurking around. But the God of heaven has not abandoned his children on earth. He says, For God so loved the world, and the Greek word literally is cosmos. For God so loved the cosmos that he sent his only son. And John, who penned those words, illuminates even further in his first letter. He says, For the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Amen. The reason for the season appeared. For a reason. He came to slay the dragon. To destroy the work the dragon was doing on the earth. You see, what Christmas is declaring in a huge way in the book of Revelation is that sin will not win. Realize that Bethlehem was no last second brainstorm of God. As as soon as the tempter Uh, seduced the first couple. As soon as sin entered God's cosmos, as soon as sin corrupted God's beautiful creation, God announced to the serpent that through the seed of this woman, he was gonna send a deliverer. He said, now you're gonna strike his heel, but he is going to crush your head. He is gonna come and destroy your work. And in the uterus of a Jewish virgin, God sent the one that was going to fulfill that promise. And that's why we need to see Christmas, not just from Earth's perspective, but from heaven's perspective. Realize John is on Patmos. He's in exile. The church is being persecuted. John knows people by name who have been killed for their Christian faith. And John gets a vision. He sees behind the curtain. He sees what's going on in the unseen world. He sees the big story. He sees the lamb and the dragon in conflict. And and the Spirit says to John, John, the church needs strength right now. The church needs hope. The church needs encouragement. So John, take the church behind the curtain and show them what you have seen. Because the world is still a dark place. But Christmas shed light on what is and on what will be. That sin will not win because the victory of Jesus is truly cosmic. And I want to show you just how big it is. Here's the first big idea. Because of his victory, forgiven is a given. You remember that we heard a song in heaven when the Dragon was cast down, and the angels gave the dragon a title. Remember what they called him? The accuser. The one who accuses the brothers day and night. Satan is quick to bring up the subject of your sins to anyone who will listen. Now, the good news is God doesn't listen anymore. He has been hurled out of the courtroom of God because of the blood of the Lamb. Jesus, by his sacrifice, has silenced. The legitimacy of the dragon's charges against us. Revelation starts like this in chapter 1, verse 5. All glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. So God doesn't listen to Satan's accusations anymore. But here's the truth. You and I do. We listen. Why does he accuse us if his charges are no longer legitimate? Well... He knows he cannot steal your salvation. That has been sealed by Jesus' blood. But he also knows he can steal the joy and assurance you have of your salvation. So I have this box in our church offices where I get mail and notes. This note was placed in my box just a few weeks ago. Please pray for my salvation. I am afraid that God is leaving me, and I have a hard time trusting, letting go, and not trying to earn it. I am scared. And this person signed their first name, but no phone number, no email. I don't know how to respond. I would normally do this privately, but I'm going to take advantage of a public forum and speak. And I'm going to call this person Avery, because I think almost every Christian struggles with the same kind of fear. So Avery, for the next few moments, I want you to listen to me. You mentioned trying to earn it. You're never going to find peace believing you have to pay for your sins. The good news is that Jesus has fully paid for your sins. The angel said to Joseph, she will give birth to a son and you will give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. You see, when, when God spoke to the serpent and said, one is going to come that is going to crush you. The only way he could crush the dragon is to solve the sin problem. This is why Jesus had to come as a man. Not half God, half man, fully God, but fully Man, which means Jesus was tempted in every way, just like you and I are. He has felt the pull of sin just as strongly as you ever have. But Satan was never able to get Jesus to out of line with God's will one single time. He cannot lay one single accusation against Jesus that's legitimate. Jesus never violated the will of God. This is why he could go to a cross and he could offer his perfect righteousness in exchange for the judgment that our sins deserved. Do you know what Jesus said just before Christmas? Look at Hebrews 10 with me. When Christ came into the world, he said to God, You did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you have given me a body to offer. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ. Now, Avery, look at these next four words. Once for all time. It's done. It's paid for. When Jesus was on the cross, his last words were not, It is almost finished. He completed the mission he was assigned. He solved the sin problem. And that means for anyone washed in the blood of the lamb, forgiven is a given. Listen to me, Avery. God will not haunt you with the memory of a sin that he has erased. And so you must learn to listen to his voice and not to the accusations of the dragon. I like the story of the seminary student writing an essay about confession. And he had a line, when we confess our sins, he removes our guilt. But he had a typo. Instead of hitting G, he hit Q. It said, he removes our quilt. He was amused when he got his paper back. From his professor and in Reddick, in the margin, the professor said, Do not fear, little one, for he has given us another comforter. (laughs) And at your salvation, God sent the Holy Spirit to live inside you, to be that voice that says, Abba, Father, to seal your salvation. And Avery, you must learn to listen to the comforting voice of the Spirit and not the condemning voice of the dragon. Now, I know... All around the cosmos, we see the fallout of sin. But sin will not win. And that includes victory over the greatest fallout of all. Because when the lamb conquered the dragon, he put death on its deathbed. Think about it. It doesn't matter what else Jesus did. If death still wins, Jesus lost. His birth is irrelevant unless he can render death impotent. And this is what makes Jesus the king of kings. Because he is the only ruler who has ever lived that death could not hold. Listen to what Jesus says about himself at the start of the revelation. Do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead, and now look, I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Jesus said that about himself. How cosmic is that? I died. I conquered death. I now control death, and if Jesus controls death, then the dragon's capacity to control us through the fear of death is greatly diminished. Henry Nouwen tells a story about a Lutheran pastor arrested by the Gestapo in World War II. He was tortured in prison. He was compelled to recant and he refused. His captor was frustrated and said, don't you know I can kill you? And the pastor replied, you can do what you want, but I have already died. And this is what frustrates the dragon. He's been trying for 2,000 years to kill Christians, and the places where he kills Christians, the church grows the fastest. Because if your biggest trump card is, I can kill you, and my biggest trump card is, and I can come back from the dead, who's got the biggest trump card? You see, Jesus put it like this. I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives believing in me will never die. Jesus' birth was fatal to death. And some of us need to remember that this Christmas. See, I really did spend a Christmas day in a funeral home once. My grandfather, my papa Archie, died on Christmas Day. I've told you about him. He was an alcoholic most of his adult life. But at the age of 56, he surrendered his life to Jesus. He was baptized into the death and the resurrection of Jesus. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He never drank again. And when he died six years later, we mourn, but not like people who have no hope. Because my papa had already died. And he is now experiencing the completeness of his salvation in Jesus. This Christmas will be darker for me than some. Some of you know, two years ago, I had to place my father in a memory care facility. and In the last several months, his dementia has just taken a sharp downturn. I was with my father Just two days ago, he did not know who I was. He vaguely remembered he has two sons, but he could not recall their names. I'm literally watching what happens when sin infects a body and death begins. Outwardly, we are wasting away. And it's hard to watch, and I grieve. But not like one with no hope. And even though I know this will probably be my last Christmas with my father, his death will be his salvation, his release from sin and suffering. My father has already died in Christ Jesus, and the dragon has no claim on him. The birth of Jesus was fatal to death. I've said before, I think our Christmas carols have some of the greatest theology of all of our hymns. And Charles Wesley was absolutely full of the Holy Spirit when he wrote. Mild, he lay his glory by. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth." Right now, the whole world is a dark place, and every day is filled with reminders of loss. But listen, Christian, we are headed for a future out from under the shadow of death. And as a matter of fact, the whole cosmos is. Because the hugest thing about Jesus' victory over the dragon is that all creation is due for new. I remind you, the Bible does not start in Genesis 3 with fall and sin and curse and death. The Bible starts in Genesis 1 with a beautiful cosmos, a good creation. The world will not always a dark place. And the most cosmic part of Jesus' victory is going to be the reverse of the curse. Now, every four to eight years, something amazing happens at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. The president that is leaving office walks out of the White House for the last time and everything looks exactly like it has looked the whole time he lived there. And then the crew in charge of transformation goes to work. And in less than five hours, everything he has will be packed up and moved. And everything the new president wants will be brought in. I mean, his clothes will be hung up exactly where he wants them in the closet. The pictures that he wants on the wall will be hung before he gets there. When he arrives, his toothbrush will be by the sink just where he wants it. The old is gone, the new has come. Now, on a much grander scale, that's what Jesus is going to do to the whole cosmos when he returns. And it's not going to take him five hours. This is what Peter alludes to in Acts 3. Heaven must receive him until the time comes. For God to restore everything. Just as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. And Peter is not talking about the end of the world. He's talking about the beginning of the world. As it was always intended to be. See Christmas declares that God will get the world he always wanted. Sin will not win. The dragon will not succeed in marring one single Adam of God's cosmos. Everything marred will be restored. And everything that has breath will declare that Jesus is Lord. That is why we sing. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. That is why we sing, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Do you understand just how cosmic the victory of Jesus is? He is going to thoroughly and completely destroy the devil's work. God isn't going to give up on earth and just bring us all up to heaven. God is going to bring heaven to earth. And so notice how the revelation ends. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had disappeared, and there was no sea anymore. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It was prepared like a bride dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now God's presence is with people, and he will live with them. And they will be his people. God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death, sadness, crying, or pain. Because all the old ways are gone. The one who was sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And so why did Jesus come? Big answer, he came so that the cosmos God wants can come. And it helps us deal with the darkness in the presence when we allow Christmas to be big enough to shed some light on the future. Because right now, the dragon still prowls. And the curse still exists. And the world can be a dark place. Sometimes even on Christmas Day. But all the tyrannies of this present life are temporary. You see, we have looked behind the curtain. And we know that Christmas is the start of something big. What was inaugurated at his first coming is going to be consummated at his second coming. And knowing this gives us hope and resilience and even joy while we wait. Even if we have to wait in the dark. Sometimes it's hard to see what's really happening. But we know God's at work. And we know that this grand story that we are a part of is going to have a truly cosmic ending. And that reminds me of Brenda Smits. She was married today. They had a family. They lived in Iowa. Life was good until Brenda started feeling not so good. She was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. And she left her husband and children behind at the much too young age of 46. Two years later, Dave met Jane. They planned to marry. It was Christmas time. There was a local radio station in Des Moines that uh, had people send in letters for Christmas wishes. And they'd pick one every year and grant their wish. And the station called Dave and Jane said, please come down. They thought, that's strange. We didn't write a letter. And they were undone when they got there, and they heard the letter that Brenda had written. Just a month before she died, believing that Dave most likely would probably remarry, she wrote this letter. She gave it to a friend and said, the Christmas before he gets married, please send this to the station. And in that letter, Brenda blessed the woman she didn't know. To be the stepmother of her children. And the husband. I mean the wife of her husband. And she asked the station for three things. Would you give Jane a complete total package and treatment at a local spa before the wedding? Would you give this new blended family a vacation? And would you give all the doctors and nurses on the eighth floor that took care of me a night on the town? And all three requests were granted. See, David and Dane didn't know. There was a story going on behind the story they were living. A good story, a beautiful story. It just had to get revealed. And it did. Someday, all created... are going to receive a revelation of Jesus Christ. And the only reminder of sin is going to be the scars on the arms of the one who wants to embrace you. And so listen to how the revelation closes. Jesus, the one who says these things are true, says, yes, I am coming soon amen come Lord Jesus is there anybody listening to me that is ready for Jesus to come amen. and if so then you need to have yourself a merry cosmic Christmas now So let's pray. Thank you, God. Thank you for not giving up on your creation. Thank you for not turning your back on your children. Thank you for sending Jesus, the only one that could slay the dragon. Grant us, God, more confidence in our salvation. Grant us more resilience in the face of death. Grant us more hope for his soon return. Help us to live better lives because we know we are part of a bigger story. And Jesus, please come soon. We are ready. Amen.